podcast on this Sunday evening. Uh, we have a full accompaniment of people this week. Yes, we have a guest as well. Oh, we'll get to them at the end. But tonight we have Peter Ray Allison. Good evening. We have Mark Canty. Hola. We have John Joe Cosgrove. Buongiorno. And welcome back, Alex Davis. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. <laughs> so, Alex, um, what's been going on since we saw you last? What's going on? Uh, ooh, quite a lot. Quite a lot. Um, yeah, been busy time. It's been great fun. I've uh, been uh, just had our um, Harris Cinema Film Festival here in Derby, which I was quite involved in, which was great. And uh, it's so good to kind of just now after the last year and a half be getting rolling on events again i can't, can't tell you how excited i am to get back into the kind of convention scene and, and getting events uh what rolling is paris cinema pardon what is this paris cinema festival paris talking? cinema um basically it is derby's anything goes sort of genre film festival basically um so it runs every year um last year was virtual this year was physical thankfully which is really nice um but really a bit of everything bit of sci-fi bit of fantasy bit of horror an awful lot of stuff that falls between cracks um you know and just uh, very open to all kinds of uh, different films and submissions and um oddities we had a bit of a video nasties thread which was great fun um one of the highlights of the weekend was we had a mary white house kind of cardboard cutout saying ban this filth which just went down tremendously all weekend it was all <laughs> selfies and you know just people just kind of hilarious um so mary was one of the stars of the show for sure um but yeah so yes um just just very kind of uh different and very sort of um well, I think you get. I think you get a lot of festivals that have like a very clear sort of genre definition. But I think you come to something like Paris Cinema, and every film is really quite different. So I think that's the thing that's exciting about it. So that was my first kind of in-person event in absolutely ages. So just nice to sort of see some people, you know, as much as anything. When was the last time we saw you? What? what when did you? When were you on the podcast last? I think it was. It must have been a couple of years ago. So I've not been on during the whole kind of um, the, the pandemic era, if we if we dare give it that <laughs> name. Uh, I think it may have been pre the last edge slip potentially, which would have been um, yeah, twenty nineteen. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so it's uh, yeah, it's been a time of which we dare not speak. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes. Well, the time I would, I did an awful lot of this as um, a little kind of box in the corner of a screen, um, you know, teaching at university and everything was a very different experience. I can reassure you that. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been an adventure. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a bit more at the university uh, here in Derby, which is fantastic. And uh, yeah, planning towards the UK Ghost Story Festival. That's my next big um, adventure, which should be uh, should be really cool. So yeah, it's uh, it's all go. It's all go. It's been busy, and, I, and I'd love to. Say in a way that the whole sort of uh, pandemic era was quieter but uh, it never really was <laughs> I think I sort of should have taken the opportunity to take my foot off the gas a bit but um, it's not really my style so uh, there you go <laughs> all right so um so tell us about um, the UK ghost uh, story festival then so what's it all about yeah absolutely yes um well i've always been a big lover of ghost stories um something i really sort of grew up with and i think kind of for me it's really interesting as like a horror fan is how kind of accessible and how sort of um i hesitate to use the word respected ghost stories are but that's kind of is what i mean really and you sort of you go back to mr james and henry james and charles dickens and uh lefanu and kind of all these kind of really sort of highly respected um authors 
the ghost story has this kind of real sort of cachet as a sort of supernatural sort of subtle kind of horror that I think that I think is really interesting I also think has kind of undergone a bit of a resurgence lately I think it's been really interesting seeing people like Laura Purcell and Andrew Michael Hurley and uh, Anita Frank and some of the kind of new Neil Springs some of the newer writers kind of coming through um, on that scene I think is really exciting and um, I was just sort of looking around thinking I don't think I was really doing anything like it or kind of certainly not on a sort of on the sort of scale um that, that i'm trying to do it. i'm sure someone will probably correct me at some point and say well actually alex but um if it's out there i've missed it i can only apologize for that but um certainly felt like something that derby was a good candidate for because uh being the most haunted city in the uk uh by numerous uh reports um it felt like a good good fit to go for it and uh yeah we've got um three days of events and that's coming up 26th to 28th november and uh, 24 activities over the three days um i say 24 i may i may well be uh programming more because we've already had so much demand um so i'm gonna have to be um using that spare space i had booked just in case um already which i think is a good sign uh so that should be uh should be i mean, uh, I mean um there's quite a few horror festivals mm. in the uk i mean there's horror con for starters yeah. Yeah. but Ghost stories are very different to horror stories, aren't they? I mean, there's overlap, but they are, in some ways, almost uh, distinct from each other. Yeah, I, I sort of see it as a subgenre in a way. I think, um, and I think, I mean, I, I watch and read kind of the whole gamut of horror. Really, I can't. I'm sort of. I'll, I'll sort of face up to anything. I mean, I've, you know, if anyone has ever ever read any of my extreme horror reviews over a film gutter, you know, I'll, I'll take on anything. You know, I will have a good, you know, kind of, I may watch a little bit of it through my fingers, but I will have a go at most things. Um, so I'm not afraid of something that isn't subtle, but I really like the ghost stories because of that subtlety. And I think that makes them more accessible to people. Like I said, a lot, and I, I, I'm a mad horror fan, but I do understand why some people wouldn't like horror. Like, I do get that when someone says to me, I don't really like horror. So that's why, you know, I get, I get that for, like, some people don't like to go on the tallest roller coaster at the fairgrounds. You know, some people don't like to be frightened. Yeah, to be just like, do I really want to scare myself or not? And I, it probably is more you know probably, probably most people would probably prefer not to scare themselves in fairness but um i, I, do, I do get that but i think ghost story is a far more kind of subtle form and um mr james uh, described it fabulously as a pleasing terror which is a term that i just love it's kind of this sort of satisfying little chill down the spine rather than it is I'm going to be like up all night terrified, you know, um, or I'm going to be absolutely, um, you know, have horrible images burned into my brain forever. You know, it is something that is is quieter. It's more about mood and atmosphere. Um, so or I think it, to me it is subgenres. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's a really good word for it. I think when you go of, back to... It mellows the jaggies out if it's more intimate because you're not so highly strung. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think when you, intimacy is a good word, because when you go back to kind of so many of the original kind of Victorian ghost stories, they were, you know, told around sort of fireplaces and it was kind of, it was like M.R. James and Charles Dickens inviting a few friends, uh, friends around for readings and they would all share a ghost story that they'd written. And that's where the kind of Christmas tradition uh, of the ghost story comes from. So it's really interesting sort of background to it. But yeah, I think it's, and also has, I think, this kind of air of mystery that I think is really nice. I think it maybe appeals a bit more to fans of mysteries because there's always this question of what's the ghost doing there or kind of what does the ghost 
want and there's a lot of stories where the ghost is trying to get something over or explain something or some kind of secret sort of buried in the past that sort of starts to um comes the force i think yeah there's a lot going for ghost stories i think they have a they definitely have a broader appeal than sort of i would say horror in that sort of you know true sense of the word if if we can say that um and i know it's not halloween now but what what's your favorite what's your favorite sort of ghost story even like you know even obviously a synopsis of your of your favorite ghost story like uh, even as a kid what what's the one that sort of kind of you still remember now yeah so i mean i i'd, I'd come back to the signal one which is not a terribly original choice it's charles dickens um ghost story and i had the pleasure of performing it a couple of times which was absolutely so was so much fun to do and really kind of get into my sort of like my dig out the kind of um you know, waistcoat and cane and stuff and get into the whole sort of Victorian feel. Um, but basically, yeah, in, in a nutshell, um, The Second Minute is a story about um, an unnamed narrator who's on a walking holiday and he discovers this sort of... Um, rail tunnel with a signalman who's kind of sat by the tunnel and he goes to talk to this chap just kind of saying hello passing time of day sort of gets this vibe something's not quite right the first time he's there so he goes back the following night and the signalman tells him this story of the ghosts he's seen outside the tunnel and and the signalman is persuaded that the ghosts are trying to communicate something and his sort of final thing he says that second night is I've the, I've seen another ghost and I don't know what he's trying to tell me. And there's a lovely touch when it goes about the third night, which I'm, shall I spoil it? Yeah. Should I stop yeah. there? Right. Spoiler <laughs> alert. It's, it's, it's been out for like 150 years. So <laughs> you haven't read it um, but, um, Basically, yes. And he goes back the third night and the signalman's found, uh, he's, he's dead, basically. He's found dead by the, by the rail tracks. And basically this kind of, uh, the, what the last ghost uh, has done has kind of led the Superman to kind of run out onto the line. So it's got this sort of great um, sort of through thread, a really great atmosphere, lovely build. I think that's one of the things I love about ghost stories, that sort of slow build and this kind of creeping tension just goes up bit by bit. And one of the things that ghost stories can do that's really interesting, and I think, again, talk about a difference to horror. So many horror films, you sort of, if you get a sense of like, I haven't seen the monster that's chasing me, then I feel a bit let down. But a lot of ghost stories don't really show a ghost. But like there's no ghost shown in the signalman. There's just this kind of intimation that these ghosts are real, basically. Kind of the narrator's experience tells us that the ghosts are real. But um, it's not like there's a big kind of jump scare where the thing pops out and sort of, you know, <laughs> just kind of person jumps out of their sort of Victorian hat. You know, it is uh, it's such a different sort of um, a different way of storytelling. And, and say in many a tale, you know, the ghost is implied if you know it, it, rather than being seen which again is, is quite a big difference but yeah the signal one would be an absolute favorite um if you look for something more modern um i've really loved all of laura Purcell's books i think she's an author i'd really uh recommend she came along to the ghost story festival last 2019 two years ago now um but all i kind of couldn't even almost pick between her books uh bone china and the corset i think were particularly uh, particularly great but all four of her books are well worth uh, worth looking if you're after a bit more of a modern author uh work in the field yeah why are, why are ghost stories kind of you know set around winter why do you always kind of associate winter with ghost stories yeah i mean i think um it, part of it is, is so I suppose, is sort of mood and atmosphere and sort of it's quite hard to, 
you know, it was a lovely summer's evening, you know, when the ghost appeared. It's quite hard to sort of get that over to some extent. I think the, the Christmas connection does absolutely come from your Dickens and your M.R. James and that sort of tradition of telling ghost stories at Christmas kind of started to catch um, around that time. And then we started to see Christmas anthologies and sort of Christmas collections of ghost stories. So there is that kind of Christmas connection. I suppose there's also a bit of a Halloween connection, you know, end of October, and we're sort of starting to tell spooky tales around the fire. So I think that whole sort of window from October to December to me is kind of totally open game for ghost stories as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I think that that's where that's really started to uh, to come from. I mean, Christmas Carol, probably you could probably argue, is one of the most famous ghost stories ever. It probably is the most famous ghost story mm. ever. And, um, you know, the, that, that connection with, with Christmas and winter is absolutely uh, inseparable. Um, yeah, so that's what it's, yeah, I think that's why it sort of it hangs there. It's sort of, yeah, going out into the, into the dark, crisp night and sort of looking over your shoulder slightly as you walk home uh, after your ghost story performance. I think that's uh, a big part of it. You know, I, I have, it's a, it's a bit of a silly um, ghost story. It's not even a ghost story, it's technically a monster story, I guess, but, uh, but it's always one that I remember as a child because um, my granny used to have this and it is I, I can i can i can visualize it now and i can't remember the name it, it was like a, a collection of sort of ghost stories but i remember we were at her house on uh halloween and um we we got this book out because we wanted to scare ourselves and stuff and uh <laughs> it's called it's called tealy and it's basically uh, have you heard of it before i haven't no no right. so basically um it it's it's a bit silly but it, it's kind of as a, as a child it's like it's quite scary so basically what you have is um it's like it's like a it's, i think it's even it's like north american folklore and stuff but basically you have a, a like a, a hunter or it's like a hermit or something and he is in the woods in a cabin um and he's hunting game and he comes across um something and he he, he basically chops he chops its tail off and, and he uses the tail sort of to feed him and his three dogs uh, and then that night um, he wakes up and he sees these sort of black eyes uh, and the sort of kind of toothy grin at the to, at the foot of his bed and it goes taily po taily po I want my taily po back um, mm. and he calls his dogs and the dogs chase it off into the woods uh, two of them come back one of them doesn't and then uh, it comes back again, says Tailypo, Tailypo, I want my Tailypo back, and this goes on, and then sort of to the point where, um, you know, you, you don't hear anything about what happened to the woodsman and stuff, and then it's sort of mm. like he stumble, uh, some travelers stumble across um a destroyed cabin um mm. with this beast within uh, within it and stuff, and I was just like, as mm. a child, it was just like, yeah. just like sort of, you know, and it wasn't it, the whole thing. I just remember is Tailypo, Tailypo, I want mm. my Tailypo back, <laughs> and it's like as a child, just like, oh my god, that's so freaky. Yeah, totally, totally. I think kind of it was. I mean, I think the thing, two things I pick up. I mean, firstly, when you, I mean, it's something even when you say the term ghost story yeah. no one has to really think what you mean because everyone has those stories those little anecdotes like you're all sort of you know you're all in a tent around the campfire or someone's i mean i used to tell my little my little cousins ghost stories i was about the oldest cousin of four um on that side of the family and they just kind of everyone tell us a ghost story tell us a ghost story. and kind of it was just that was the thing that i did 
kind of as a, as a sort of teenager and then slightly before being a teenager. Um, so everyone has that kind of universal experience of some way I've heard a ghost story somewhere or someone in the family has like a, a true ghost story or some experience they've had. Um, but kind of that's a story that sounds a bit more sort of like folk horror and that's kind of another, that's quite an interesting area in itself because it's kind of the sort of the close cousin of the ghost story um, as I as I sort of see it. And it is it has that same atmosphere, but like you say, rather than being a ghost, it's more likely to be a monster or have that kind of like mythology or, or yeah, folklore yeah. kind of inspiration. I think, again, that's another area that's undergoing quite interesting kind of um, revival right now. There's a very big um, box set of films coming out from, I knew I'd forget the minute I said it, somebody is bringing out a very big <laughs> set of uh, folk horror films, about 20 films in the box kind of from all over the world. Days Enchanted and... Do you know, I, I, I might have to look it up, or someone could look it up for me. Uh, but there's a, but yeah, it's definitely something that's kind of really having a, um, like you know, think of things like the ritual that was on Netflix. You know, that was a really good example of that sort of folk horror, um, sort of feel. Midsummer would would definitely fit in that sort of folk horror bracket. So, you know, that's another area, and I do think those two things run so so parallel. You know, I think they run so uh, next to each other. Um, have you I'm ever, gonna, sorry, I'm going to look it up. <laughs> have you ever, up. have you ever, no, it's a play as well as a film, but it's called Ghost Stories. Um, uh, the film has got Paul Whitehouse. Um, yes. What's, oh, fuck, I can't remember. I played Bilbo Baggins. He was in The Office. Uh, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah, Martin Freeman. Yeah. Uh, he's in it as well. And I honestly, um, like my ex, when we went to see it, like she didn't rate it i i loved i loved it so much to the point where i wrote a very 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 long article breaking down and analyzing it stuff because it's done mm. by um ah oh, fuck me and names he's one Mark of these yes that's <laughs> it from league of gentlemen and he also mm. does the stage shows for darren brown yes, um and i i i loved it so much because not only it the, the three stories within it and if you've never seen it or if you've never seen it, just, you know, get it, because it's freaky as hell as well. It's like old school <laughs> ghost stories as well. So it's yeah. basically, he goes and he talks to three people about their sort of kind of experience. And he's basically this, um, he's basically this um, uh, cynic, not cynic, what's the word? Um, skeptic. Skeptic, yeah. Skeptic. skeptic. He's a skeptic, yeah. <laughs> and sort of along the lines of sort of like, you know, a Darren Brown or something like that, he sort of goes there to basically challenge it and sort of kind of yeah. thing. Now, it's got an amazing twist at the end, which you will either love or hate, but the whole thing <laughs> sort of kind of ties in with it all. The whole, there's like the stuff throughout which you pick mm. up on and you don't realize, and then at the end, it ties it all together. But, um, the three stories themselves on their own if you just want sort of good like ghost stories are so mm. good just so good yeah. and it's just so freaky and sort of atmospheric and you know the, even the stuff that's just happened to him very very good and um just yeah i love it i think it's like when it comes to sort of kind of ghost story films that have been on i yeah, yeah i rate it so highly just because it's got so much sort of going on and it's like again people don't you know my ex hated the ending because she's like well that's, <laughs> that's stupid and i was just like it's not though oh my god it's like the most genius thing ever because it ties everything together and it because you understand where he comes from as a you know a, a stage show um producer and a, as a, a as a writer and stuff like that where it's all come from as well but it's like wow it was so yeah. good 
so it was good. really it was really well done it was it was a real hark back to those kind of days of anthology horror which i don't think we sort of tend to get so much these days but you go back to kind of hammer and amicus that was so common for those kind of little three parts sort of three individual stories or yeah. um you know and, and i think that to me i'm i always feel it's a bit sad that tradition is kind of not really died out we have less i suppose you have things like vhs and um you know there's been a few a few good ones over the over the years of horror ABCs of horror, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And things like Little Deaths was a British one that I really liked. Uh, but yeah, there, there's not as many around as there used to be, and it's. And I think it's a great way to to tell a story, uh, which I think is sort of, you know it fits the ghost story perfectly. It, it really does because they are. I think it's in a way it's harder to do. I suppose what you would call a pure ghost story in a longer form. You think of like a lot of longer. It's like a single film as a ghost story. It always has that like mystery element. It's not just about haunting. Because it's not kind of enough to sustain like a full story. So they're trying to unravel the reason behind the haunting or why the haunting's happening. Um, so there is that kind of added element. So those three short stories, you can just concentrate on the the the, the, the ghost and what kind of the the, the the scary element, I suppose, for one of a for one of a better word for it, rather than that uh, mystery element. Um, I think that, I was gonna say I think with a lot of ghost stories, I think it's the idea of trying to keep it fresh, trying to keep a a different perspective what people can get onto and one of the i think one of the biggest examples has been in, especially in like the last couple of decades has been like the found footage mm, um, mm. aspect which you know blair witch project i remember being taken into the cinema um i really should have been because i was only nine years old when i saw the film <laughs> but you know what it was one of the things that watching it it was bloody amazing and yeah. it was I think and it was like you know, yeah it, it really is and then years later you got something like paranormal activity mm. which um once you get you dragged know, out it, of the bed like, yeah yeah that, I'm that out. is quite when you <laughs> see that bit you know, when you when you see like you know just literally like being dra- like all the yeah. scrapings but it's it's films like that I think because it's um it adds that touch of realism because it's it's supposed found footage. It's made people think, you know, someone's just, uh, yeah, someone's just left their camera on record and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then because you watch it, because it's got that slow build up, because even in paranormal activity, it's about a good 40 minutes into that film before anything really starts happening. It's yeah. just so yeah. much set up. And because you, build, yeah, because yeah, you, because you sort of get comfortable on that level, you're taking in them characters, you're taking in the, like the environment, you're getting the history. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing little bits of movement, little, and then when you just all of a sudden just see, you know, like when she gets pulled out of the bed, or when she's just like staring over, when you just mm. see uh, the other guy just getting thrown at the camera, that that because it's been earned. And then mm. I watched it again a second time a few years ago, and I don't know. I think it was because watching that first time, the impact was there. Yeah. Seeing mm-hmm. it the second time, you're like. Yeah, you kind of know what's coming though. Oh, yeah. See, it's the same with the Blair Witch Project though. It's like, you know, watching that for the first time. And I remember seeing it in the cinema with my ex um, for many, like I would have been about what, 16 or 17, I think when it was like a like, long time ago. Um, and I I remember watching it and fucking having to drive home. And I live like, and I've told, I've said this a million, I think I've told this story before, but I live in a, in a village in the middle of nowhere uh, in Northern Ireland. And there's like, there, 
when you go to where I, I live, they have this old, what used to be like, I think like a courthouse and they used to hang people from it. Um, and like, and it's literally, it's an old barn now. So it's all run down and it's scary as it is. And my mum's car got a, got a flat outside that thing on the dead to seeing the Blair Witch Project. I have never changed a tire so fast in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> it was very cute. I can just imagine you've looked out the window, you could just see like an old noose slowly swaying. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, yeah, oh man. Oh, I mean, I find most stories, especially films, start out as ghost stories and then become something else. I mean, I'm thinking of like um, Sleepy Hollow. It starts out very much as a ghost story, then becomes like almost an action film. Mm-hmm. at the end i mean like even alien it's, it's a ghost story in space basically but then there's like there's like you know typical hollywood climax mm. it's that thing is it once you outreach the part which is the ghost story they still yeah. have film to finish yeah. and so they have to change gear mm. because suddenly the ghost story doesn't work once too much is out in the open See, that's yeah, yeah. I've, I've often wondered. I, I, again, I'm, I've not everyone agrees with me on this. I do think sometimes that the like horror filmmaker and probably more studios than anything, to be honest, than directors are sort of are very like safe and they kind of want to do that thing of like I need to kind of make the audience jump out of their chair and spill the popcorn kind yeah. of thing. And so, I mean, I think we are starting to get away from that a bit. I think we're seeing a lot more. Hollywood produced horror films that are a bit more, a bit more intelligent and a bit more sort of patient. Uh, but I do think there is just a tendency to kind of, and I could read off a few. I mean, one of, one of my big, my most frustrating films I ever saw was Sinister. And a lot of people would love, I know a lot of people love Sinister, but I was kind of half air in. I was like, this is great. This is such a good build. And it just sort of, I said, just turns into, oh, just suddenly we just turn into another. Is that jump the one with scary the, horror? The, film. Is that the hanging tree one? Is that the one that's got the like? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I was told I went at last Halloween. My friends said, "Let's go round and we'll watch the scariest movie on Netflix." And I said, "What's it called?" Oh, Sinister. I said, like, "All right, okay, cool." And you know, the only thing scary about it was <laughs> my ex girlfriend was screaming throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. But it was just like it is. It isn't. It isn't that scary. It isn't. It starts, no. it start, I think it starts well. I think it starts yeah. the first half hour. I think I was on board, but I think it yeah, really it, like went off the rails quick. And I think it is one... just stick with it. Stick, have the confidence. Say there's the audience will sit and watch it. If it's a good ghost story, the audience will sit and watch it. Yeah, I think it's sort of, I think the best ones you have, you know, and I think Paranormal Activity was good because you didn't really see anything um you know there was lots of sort of kind of you know there was a lot of inference to things and obviously yeah fine there was stuff that happened you never you didn't saw you never saw the demon Blair Witch Project was very much all in your mind it was literally them sort of kind of you know tense rattling and them seeing things and shit happening in in sort of mm-hmm. the peripheral and, and in the background and stuff and that worked um you know the Babadook have you ever seen the film the Babadook yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Babadook is the same thing, you know. It's you mm. know very sort of kind of psychological, and um, you know, and I think that's that works because it went you you can who can scare you better than yourself, basically. Yeah, so absolutely. Why, yeah, you know, yeah. so having you know having something there that is the monster or the ghost yeah. and stuff sort of takes you out of your own mind and yes. gives you reality. Whereas if you keep yeah. it in your own mind, it's anything. And it's it's um it's something that Stephen King talks about. He's got he's, he says kind of talks about keeping it behind the door yeah. i think it's in dance macabre and he says the trouble is for a horror writer is what the reader is imagining behind that door 
is worse than anything you could put behind the door. Yeah. But as a writer, you can't create something as scary as what the audience is picturing. So the trouble is sometimes you, you sort of, like the, the, the reader opens the door and there's a guy in a kind of a Scooby-Doo costume. You think, that was crap. <laughs> I was, you know, I was, I was sort of, I was, I was really nervous prior to that. Um, I mean, I, I think personally, I'll, I'll pick up to think, like, I think the best ghost stories on film, of late have been have been the japanese uh, j horror movies think oh, of things like ring and, and grudge ring, and Dark that, they are, petrified they are, i mean they are terrifying and they are genuinely like the ring has every facet of a ghost story it's, it was yeah. mismarketed for me <laughs> it's, 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 it was marketed as a horror film of course but um yeah it's, it's everything about the pace of it and the feel of it and the build oh. it's, it's a ghost story through and you only oh, have that reveal at the end you know that and that's one of the things of ghost stories you don't throw the monster in a halfway you have a ghost in a halfway it, that comes right at the end. All the bill comes up to that. So, I think also, yeah, it sticks to you, doesn't it? The ring. Gotcha. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I've told this story to some of the guys before, but when it first came out, I was staying over at a friend's place, and they have a with, and they have a an older an older daughter. She was about eighteen at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as we got to the end, that last scene where they got the TV, me and her stepdad caught each other's eyes. And we slapped, we slipped our mobile phones out of our pockets. And he phoned her mobile phone, and I phoned the landline at the same time. And we had to peel her off the ceiling. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. We actually, had to peel her off the ceiling. She beat the crap out of us both for about ten minutes. Justifiably, I, I think that's one of the areas that is probably a little bit. I'm actually, well, I'll talk exploring it at the Ghost Story Festival. I think I like ghosts and technology is not kind of because I think that's one of the, one of the things that's more difficult and probably why a lot of ghost stories even though written now are kind of harking back to years past is we're sort of in an age where there was less skepticism i suppose there was less kind of there was sort of more belief even if your lead characters didn't always believe and very often the lead characters are skeptics yeah. but there's always we, like someone around them kind of well we've rationalized more of the world haven't we yeah precisely that and i think i mean i, I read very recently um jason arnab's ghoster which i think is to oh, me yeah. is one of the best takes on like the technology in horror and i thought it was really really clever um and i think so that ring ring does that you know ring does that with with the phone you know and then with the kind of the video camera thing as well i think it does some of that i think that's probably the area that, that is still somewhat untapped so there are a few but not not enough to make me think that's run out yet <laughs> you know for, for my money um some have been quite bad sadly which is a bit of a problem but um you know there's a there's a handful of a smattering of good ones but um i thought host was interesting I and mean, again it kind of as another way to make a film you know and i think we'll probably see more of those kind of um you know uh sort of skype made films or have whatever they you know zoom films or you know people are sort of exploring alternative ways of storytelling and like i say don't try and add that realism like play which did like paranormal activity did um but i wonder if we're getting a bit burnt out on found footage i mean if you go surfing for horror films just an endless yeah. stream of films absolutely yeah you know, but, yeah yeah but it's now the found footage films are not just particularly for horror you can find them there for other dramas even for comedy as well because mm -hmm. um, there was a Oh, it was called Project X. I remember yeah. watching it, and um, it was semi-based on some, apparently some kind of true story about a kid who um, hosted this massive party. I know we're going off the horror side, but no, I, I, yeah, yeah. Do, I used to really enjoy this. But he basically put a thing up on Facebook to say, oh, you know, I'm inviting a few friends over. What should have been about 20 people? 
ended up being about 2,000 <laughs> and the neighbourhood was practically destroyed. Destroyed. And then yeah, yeah. the next day he's, he's being interviewed and like, you know, he's got sunglasses on, he's got shorts, he's got his hair slipped back. He's yeah, yeah. going, yeah, I'll tell you what, it was a great party. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Do it all over again. <laughs> and it was, it was incredible. But if you watch the film, it's actually really good and it's, it's shot really well. It does go a bit crazy towards the end and uh, it's a bit, I don't know. It just goes a bit, bit balls out compared to like what the rest of it was. But um, yeah, yeah. Found footage is, I think it's really good, but it is being overplayed. You have to find ways to keep it fresh. And one of my, yeah. one of the ones that I really enjoyed, um, must be about nearly ten years old as well now. Uh, Chronicle, which hmm. was the superhero one. Yeah. Which um, that was quite good actually. I, yeah. I, I thought it was brilliant. And when you see the actors that came from it, you know, you had Michael B. Jordan, who, you know, is now like one of the biggest names in Hollywood. Uh, Dane DeHaan, who went on to be Green Goblin in the Spider-Man film that doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. And other things. But he, he was fantastic in that. I thought he was really good, really creepy character. He, he, and, um, you know, the found footage bit went a little bit weird because it's like, you know, when you see him, like he's just sitting in a junkyard, it's like, why would you just film yourself sitting in a junkyard or, you know, oh, and, uh, yeah, it's a bit weird. Yeah, I mean, that, I think the next evolution is what we, is what we're seeing with the film Hardcore Henry, mm. where basically it's shot purely oh. from first person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've watched I some do of that. I want to film like that. And basically, it's like <laughs> watching someone on a, no, playing a first person shooter. Mm, mm, mm. And I, think, I mean, you can tell a story in that way, but it gives you a lot of motion sickness. I think, I think, yeah, they're, to, yeah. I think they're going back to the sort of like you know, you've got a lot of the horror stuff, especially in Netflix. You know, you've got the ha- the haunting on uh, Hale House, uh, the first one, which is all right, the second one, which is pants. Um, but they're kind of going back to this sort of kind of old school, sort of kind of Victorian era of, of ghost storytelling, I think. Uh, I think that's sort of they're trying to find because you're you know, there's only a finite way amount of ways you can sort of tell a ghost story or, or or sort of visualize a ghost story, and I think they're trying to sort of go back and and find this sort of kind of old school way to do things, um, because the the, the whole fine footage thing is you know everybody's done it now. It's just sort of it's like like you said, it's proliferated, proliferated. I think uh, it's Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. It, it, there's so much of it, and I think you know mm. they they need to find something different, and I think that's the that's the angle they're going. That's the direction they're probably going. Yeah. I think it's about sort of finding something that sort of um, to explaining why it's found footage, kind of making that really inherent to the story. I think sometimes you sort of see a horror film and think, well, that just feels like it was found footage because you couldn't afford the proper kit, sort of thing. <laughs> if you see what I mean, I'm not really horror, but I can I get that. It's like you know, if you're you're on a low budget and you think, oh, how can we make a horror film? Like, I, I salute you for having the you know innovation to go and do the thing on found footage. But um, you know, I could think of a few sort of you know things like um, Skew was a, was a really good found found footage horror film that I loved. And basically, what happened in that was the camera was basically picking up ghosts. But it wouldn't pick them up when you played it back. So someone would be like, oh, my God, they're, they're freaking out because they've seen this thing on the camera. And they go back and there's nothing there. And just sort of, just that there was a reason for the camera that the camera was kind of part of telling, um, it is part of telling the story, which I thought was really, was, was really quite a good one. Or sort of, they're yeah. sort of, um, I've rewatched recently 
It's not a ghost story at all. Um, quite a quite a I've forgotten how grim this horror film was actually. The Poughkeepsie tapes. I don't know if I've seen this oh, one, but it's okay. sort of it's like a mockumentary. But it's got these found footage bits in it, and, I thought, and that was just like and basically the idea was this was like the serial killer's kind of oh, record of his crime. Yeah. It's it's it it, it, no, it it did not get any more pleasant since I first watched it. To be honest, <laughs> that made it was a sign it worked. It was a sign I was like I'm not I'm quite uncomfortable here. And I was sort of like, it's a sign it's doing what it's meant to be doing, um, and doing what it's doing well. So I think it can still be done well, but I do think it's mm. just there needs to be more thought. Is like why is it found footage apart from? Yeah. Uh, have, have there been any films that you couldn't, which you just couldn't watch? And like he's like no, I. Like, given especially uh, what you watch through cinema, <laughs> yes. I think any film they got, nope, I'm out. I'm out. There was, there was only ever one, um, okay, and I wrote a, a not. I wrote I, I wrote not a review of this. So I normally do a, a weekly review uh, for a series called Film Gutter, which is kind of extreme horror and kind of like really fringe out there, kind of cult, weirder the better sort of. Um, and it's taken a lot of very kind of challenging films i would say in, in a word um i'd sometimes watch something i think i don't know why i did that to myself but <laughs> doing it to myself for some reason uh well, yeah but it would be it was a russian film called green elephant um which is basically about two uh guys who are in a prison cell accused of a crime they're not quite sure of and basically they sort of start reasonably friendly and then everything kind of goes to hell shortly after and there was a scene in that i was like no, that's that's the one. I'm, uh, that was like four. That was about four years into weekly reviews. So it was not, you know, not something to take lightly. But a few, a few I've watched through my fingers here and there. A few I've been like, mm, kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, sort of pretty unpleasant. But um, it takes a lot to break me. But that was that was the one that I. I may try again at some point. But um, yeah, um, there's a lot. I mean, I think the thing is again. The question for me is like again, like I say with the found footage, like why do it? I'm not sort of a gore hound for the sake of being a gore hound. I'm not sort of like into just a load of gratuity for nothing. I want to know, I mean, still want you to tell me a story and make me care about a character and do something interesting and sort of, if you're going to do something that is really confronting and unpleasant, I want to justify it, you know, to feel like, yeah, that was, that was there for a reason. I think not every film does that, in fairness, in, in the extreme horror world. But um, but the ones that do are the ones that stick with you. you know, the ones that do are the ones that you sort of um, that you remember and that really sort of you know leave the lasting impression. Um, yeah, See, but that, I, that's the one that got me. <laughs> I was never a fan of the Saw fans simply because I find them quite sort of graphic and um so i thing is i don't mind horror films it's ones mm. where it's just gore and i'm a bit squeamish so i'm just a bit like mm. yeah i don't know if i can watch this it's just a bit, so. I, I i i would defend saw i really because i i think i watched about the first two or three uh years and years back and a friend of mine said we watched a lot and i was like well kind of three wasn't that pretty he said watch the lot just watch the lot and come back to me so i sat and watched saw one to seven in a, in a i haven't watched the new ones just yet but watched one to seven and I went back to it and I said, that was surprisingly clever. Because what Saw does that I don't think I've ever said another series do is it's still doing things in six and seven that make you feel differently about the earlier films and sort of reflect them. Like, it's all the same editor throughout the whole seven films. So there is this like arc that like, and you think of like most horror series that go past about two or three. I mean, look at like Hellraiser. <laughs> look at like Friday. They're all over the shop. Like, what the hell is going on? You're like, in Romania one minute, you're over here the next, like different characters. Like, Hellraiser in really... space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, his face, yeah. So, so I'm sure Saw will end up there eventually. Um, but it did, it really told, a, it really did tell a story. And kind of as some characters came in and some came out and this kind of legacy got yeah. continued, I thought it was really 
surprised me. And they did they did decline, but there's the fact I was kind of I thought, yeah, there was a whole journey there that I've been on through seven films, which was not something I've encountered before. I think with the Saw films, what I I always used to quite enjoy was that um yeah. I like that there was the narrative and even watching um yeah, if you go to like the the what was originally the last one, which was yes, Saw yeah. Free 3D, which yeah. um I've got counter. a good yeah, <laughs> I've got a good bit of a story about that one, I'll I'll say a sec. But when it got to that point when you can see when there's like you say, they're still taking the bit, say, from the first movie, there's a bit from Saw Three, Saw mm-hmm. Four, you've still got all these links. And it's like mm-hmm. it was nice as well to think if you'd been following for all seven movies, yeah. you kind of had that payoff because you're like, you yeah. know, you you haven't mm-hmm. just wasted your time. You you have mm-hmm. actually got a, a story out of it. You've actually got a conclusion to not just Jigsaw, but to most of the characters that you've seen. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I always thought I always appreciated them. And I could mm-hmm. see how a lot of people read it and like them. But um mm-hmm. I remember going to see the last, well, I keep saying it's the last film. Seven. There's been Saw two seven. since then. <laughs> yeah, two yeah. Saw yeah. seven. Yeah, let's say Saw seven. Um, I went with a friend of mine who is an absolute horror nut. And she said to me, we've got to go and see Saw 3D when it comes out. We've got to go and see it on the day. So we booked it. All good, all fine. And um, I'll take it. Have you all seen what was Saw 3D, Saw the last chapter? Whatever nah, you want to I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I've not seen them, so. so don't, don't worry. Uh, it's, I, I'm just not a gore guy. <laughs> <I'm too> gore. <laughs> okay, so the first scene in that movie ties back to the first Saw. So you've got um, Dr. Golden, literally just after he's cut his foot off, he is dragging himself down the corridor, bleeding out, and he takes his stumped leg and puts it against a hot pipe to cauterize it. Now, Literally, that is the first scene in this movie. My friend took her 3D glasses off. She got up. She went, I can't watch any more of this. I'm going. And do you know what? She walked straight out. And um, I was just about to go. She went, no, no, no. I'm going to get a taxi. You've watched the rest of the movie. And so, no, I said, you can't just go. She went, no, no, no. Look, honestly, I just can't sit through it anymore. And... um, I, I, I remember watching it and then the next scene you've got the, the two guys that are tied to each other and you've got the woman above them with the serpent mm. saw and then yeah, you've yeah. got um, Chester from Linkin Park yeah, yeah, where he's yeah, got yeah, this back super now that bit when you see him like literally pull himself out of that chair with the super glue stuck to his back oh. I thought that was horrible to watch yeah, that was really yeah you know what those because of like I mean like all the latex all the Mm. Make up everything was so good because it replicated his tattoos perfectly. And as you see him tear as he's pulling himself off of that seat, it's horrible to watch. But at the same time, you go, I'll tell you what, that makeup artist definitely deserves an Oscar. That is some good stuff there. But then, um, yeah, Yeah. I watch this film, like, since that first bit, this film is getting more and more gross. It's just Mm. getting more gory by the second. The thing I love about Seven that no one (laughs) seems to think about, the thing I love about Seven is the fact that the lead character in it is. Uh, he claims to be a survivor of Jigsaw, but he's faking it. Oh, yeah. So he's written this like best-selling memoir of like how he survived Jigsaw. He's like on the books on the, like the the talk show circuit, and it's all just bullshit. It's absolutely just a great idea. So you've no, built up this mythology no, over six. six films. Yeah, that's all six. The the one with the fake one. Is that six? I thought it was seven. No, yeah. sure. I thought it was seven because that's where it goes to the survivors group. 
So I'm assuming Jigsaw gets him oh, in the shit. end wait, for wait, faking wait. a story. Oh no 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 no! Oh, I'm getting I'm getting it confused. I'm sure it's now. seven. I'm sure um, that's why I'm like, I'm I, I, yeah, not seven. contradict the horror expert. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we get you know the that, reappearance no, of Doctor oh, Gordon. What happens in, yeah, but what happens in number? Oh, what's it happens in number six? Things that's confusing me. Um, because I know number six they have, the, the they have Yeah, I know number six. You had the um. You had the two detectives that had survived. You had the one who yeah. she faked her death after the other guy that had put a pen into his throat had died. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, oh, God. Yeah, Six maybe, can't remember as well. Six can't remember that yeah. as well. Must yeah. but, um, four's my favourite. Four's, four's my favourite a lot. I think Four has the cleverest four. twist a lot. I, I think Four has one of the cleverest twists in yeah. movie history. Um, I'll stand by that. Spoil, okay. What was that? Go on then. If any, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna, they all I, have twists. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a spoiler to go. A Saw film has a twist. Every yeah, Saw film has a twist. Yeah. That's, that's a part of what Saw <laughs> well, is. It is the twist itself, which is really good. Which um, you know, as if you watch Saw three. And you watch Saw Four; they literally are parallel to each other. And well, then explain. I'm, I'm, not, I'm never going to watch them, so you might as well I'll explain. Try them. Spoil it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but uh, yeah, basically, you, you, as you say, John, you you realise they are three and four are happening at the same time, and it's so clever. It sort of sets you up to think it's afterwards in that very opening uh, scene, and then and it's only at the end I went. None of, this. of course, they could run at the same time. It's not the same characters. It's not the same. It's like that could easily be running concurrent. It was only when you get to the end you realise there's a little moment where someone pops up from Saw Three, and you think, "I mean, why? What are they doing there?" And you say, "Oh yeah, it's all happening at once." So it's really, really good, really good. But but uh, you know what? I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I did like Saw Five. I really did like Saw Five because obviously you got that one detective who, yeah, you know, the at the end of Saw Four, yeah. he's left. He's left to die by. Um, I can't remember the character's name, but I remember it's Costas Mandalore, who is yes, a fantastic yeah, yeah. actor. Uh, Hoffman, um, isn't he? Hoffman, that's it, yeah. yeah. But I remember he leaves him to die. He yeah. basically puts like this fishbowl on his head. He's like filling up water. And this is where, like, you know, he puts the pen into his throat and so he can breathe. The... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. the whole film is basically him then trying to track down Hoffman, trying Just to stop the rest of the track. Yeah. And then that ending, I'll tell you what, that ending, because you knew he wasn't going to survive. That was obvious. <laughs> And it's just where he literally is crushed to death. You know, he's mm. given the choice. He goes, right, go into this glass coffin. If you go in here, you'll survive. It's like, yeah, that sounds like bullshit. But mm. he's, he, but then Hoffman gets thrown into the casket himself, um, goes down. He goes into, like, this safe room. And then, yeah, the ceiling just starts collapsing yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, it's, my... it's like, oh. Yeah, I think I think my my one uh, some of you were saying a bit earlier, man. My my one complaint about the Saw films is that term of torture porn that came around, yeah, when that and hostile as well. And I sort of think I I've always I really hate that term because I think okay. it is sort of what I just think I think kind of if you use the word porn that implies to me that like you're using the torture to titillate the audience. That that to me is like you know porn. You use the word porn, it's there to kind of arouse you, but it kind of as the concept. Um, and I think sort of. Like Saw's more than that, you know. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna, I can't sort of. There's probably certain films I couldn't defend. They go that probably is just torture porn. Fair enough, but I don't think Saw is that. You talk about a seven story, seven film arc with ones. I think Hostel. I sort of. I might let you have it if you know what I mean. <laughs> doesn't make that implication, um, which was the other one that got tarred with a particular brush, but. Um, I think, you know, I say not everything. I was just, I think it just what started to happen, a bit like the video nasties. It's like every film that had 
any of that sort of stuff in it. It was like, oh, that's torture porn. It's like, well, no, it could still be a clever, interesting film. Just if it being graphic doesn't mean it can't be clever or interesting or, you know, doing something different. I think sort of it got a bit lazy with the kind of labelling of, of that sort of torture porn. The sense, I'll say with the video nasties, every kind of horror film that had a bit of, you know, death and blood was like, it's a video nasty laugh, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't do anything. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the first um, Star was very clever in its writing, I thought. And some really neat twists in it. For, mm. um, and for what was a fairly minimal budget, as I understand. Yeah, very much 1. so. Yeah, that's... $1.1 million was the first Saw movie. And most of that was only given because they got Danny Glover on the cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gets, um, uh, Carrie Elwes was on a on a percentage deal. You know, yeah. From payment. He, he, was, he just took mm. up, maybe he made the right decision. He <laughs> took a cut out of the box but, office, like, great. Carrie um, Elwes, he had a massive dispute with him because uh, he was supposed to have returned earlier in the series, but I think because of um, something to do with the royalties he was supposed to have gotten, he went, no, I ain't going to do this, I ain't going to take part in this. And then when they were doing Saw the final right. chapter, they then said to him, look, it's different guys that are behind the financing now. We've got different people that are working on this side. Basically, everyone that you collaborated with before, they're out. Will you take part again if we give you shitload of money? And he went, yeah, of course I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Oh, fuck yeah. Give me boatloads of money. Because yeah. he hadn't been in lots. Because that's, uh, to be honest, like I really liked him as an actor. Because he was in Glory, which is one of my favourite films. Obviously, Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, but then he Robin started Hood kind of... Yeah, yeah, per- well. He wasn't really in lots. And then uh, that was the first film I saw him in. Like, I watched, saw one. And when he started cutting off his leg, I was just like, I was eating some chicken at the time. And I was like, <laughs> I fucking deal, I can't deal with this, man. I'm, I don't know if I can watch this. But yeah, it's the first film I'd seen him in in a, in a long time. And um, I was just like, wow, and now he's cutting off his leg. Um, I'm trying to think. He was in, he's in um, Stranger he's Things. Stranger Things. He's in well, Stranger yeah. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just had to look him up because I was like, I'm sure there was something more recent as well. Yeah, um, I mean, I think what you're finding out is quite a lot of, of, of good actors are doing horror, like more and more. It seems to be sort of quite a common uh, common think, thread now. Um, I think it's sort of like how Marvel done it um, because, you know, a lot of people would never normally do a superhero movie because they went, oh, it's going to ruin my career. Mm. And now if you look at like the average Marvel movie, if you haven't got at least two Oscar winners, it's like, yeah. is it worth watching? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Like horror as well. You know, you look at, um, you know, look at like a lot of the big horror movies that have been coming out of late. You've always got at least one or two massive headliner names mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Funny, I suppose there was a conversation about it the other week was that Elijah Wood, and kind of he's like, obviously he's sort of probably best known for lord of the rings as much as anything but you look at his filmography now all he's he's either producing or starring in fairly bonkers independent horror i mean he saw he was producer on like the greasy strangler uh he was producer on he was in maniac about 10 years ago now uh come to daddy he was in the other year just and it's just got to be doing what he's having fun doing basically it just seems kind of that's, that's what he's into and just doesn't I don't know how good i don't know how much you check on the podcast side but um a few years ago he was on one of my favourite ones, the No Sleep podcast. Where oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he co-produced it as well as starring in it. And uh, that was actually quite good. That was quite good to see him in like a different zone to where you normally see Oh, yeah, there. yeah. He's a, he's a total horror nerd. Like, he really is. It's, like, it's amazing. But, uh... oh, yeah, but like Benny Rankiff's done exactly the same thing. He's done oh, the yeah. eight Harry Potter <laughs> films. And now he's done like some just really... Yeah. 
bonkersly really obscure film mm. because he can. He has that you know, What's the financial... He's got guns, he's got guns nailed to his hands. Yeah, guns akimbo. Yeah. 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 And then there's also the one where he's a farting zombie. Well, a farting corpse. Even. Yeah. That was yeah. quite good. That was quite yeah. good film. I, I, think, really... I, I wish more actors would do that. Do you know what I mean? Kind of, I think like, you've made that much money off Harry Potter. Like, why? I say, just I'll just pick what the hell I want. You know, I don't have to plough a certain furrow. You know, I just can just sort of do do what I feel like doing. And I think he he's another one that makes interesting sort of choices, you know. Um, I think it, it fascinates me the way that actors kind of shape up their careers, you know, and sort of what, what do I want to be known as and, you know, um, what do I want to be seen as? He obviously does not want to be seen as the, I, the, the kid from Harry Potter <laughs> from all eternity. I think someone who is definitely... I was, yeah. I was just going to say, someone who I think has made some very good choices in terms of acting, in terms of very different roles, is, especially since he left Doctor Who, David Tennant. Mm. If, you look his, if you look at his, um, like, IMDb, especially from, like, the last few years, he's done so much different voice acting work, whether it's mm-hmm. for adult stuff or, you know, even... You know, played Scrooge McDuck in DuckTales, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, mm-hmm. Final Space as well. Cool. He's the, yeah, uh, Final Space. Yes, yeah. 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 Yeah, Lord Commander in like, Final Space. And, um, oh, and also... Jessica Jones. Oh yeah, as, um, awesome, bad guy. Yeah. awesome bad guy. Awesome bad guy. Oh, John, actor Jean Luc Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah, yeah, he, was yeah. In, he was in the Green Room. Yeah, the Green Room. Film about like he played like a leader of neo Nazis. Yeah, it's really dark. It's the complete opposite of you know Captain of a Starfleet. But then yeah, again, <laughs> I, th- I think I mean, say it must be. You wonder sort of. How some maybe the agent kind of gets these things and goes, Well, I'll send it, but I don't really want him to do it. Go, yeah, I really want to do this. And the agent's like, Oh, god, what am I, you know, do you have to? And you know, a, you wonder what these conversations are like. I was just, you there's know, a skit really on uh, Nicholas Cage's agent going on about films and stuff, and like him just taking everything and just like, you Nicholas know, Cage just likes working. I, yeah. I can't sort of, I can't even yeah. disrespect it because I think I, he does, he does so many films. And every now and then, there's a really good one. Every now and then, there, but every, but sort of for every good one, there's probably four or five that are absolutely took. <laughs> but if he's enjoying himself, I sort of, I don't, yes. I, guess it's not, I don't think he really needs the money at this point, surely. <laughs> I sort of just think he likes to be busy and likes to be sort of out there doing stuff, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, if that's your bag, then then why not, you know? See, but, I um, have respect for them. There's a band who we used to play with um, back in Belfast called the Dangerfields, and the mm. mate was. Um, sent me a link and they're still going like technically my band's still going but they're going and have been gigging constantly forever and they're still mm. going and it's just the fact that they would play anywhere at any yeah. time and they didn't care they would literally play to one person in a dive bar in the, you know somewhere like you know where we're like there's no way i'm doing that and uh yeah. they just literally they didn't care and it's just like i kind of have respect for things for people yeah. who do stuff like that you know fine it might not be great um maybe you know they're not the best band of the world or maybe he's not the best actor in the world or whatever but you know you've got respect that they don't care they're just going to do their no. thing that's what they want to do and it's like yeah. well yeah okay cool that's right. nicholas cage he'll, he'll be in a film till till the very end <laughs> he'll be 80 90 still be out doing his thing about your bottom dollar <laughs> what's he got that, that netflix thing or is it the history of swearing or the oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i mentioned that good fun no, I mentioned um, Patrick Stewart, which means I mentioned um, The Next Generation, which means I have to mention Babylon 5 is going to make oh, a yes. comeback. Yes, of course. With J. Michael Shazitsky. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, after 
decades of Sukinti saying, nope, it's not coming back. It's in the hands of these studios. They're not interested. Suddenly, it's coming back on CW. CW, which is a bit of a concern. But, maybe CW are going to cancel every other show and then they can just say, yep, here's your budget, done. <laughs> Yeah, they've got a little bit less. They're not quite so teeny bop as people used to. As people still think they are, they've handled a few things quite well. The newer um, Superman series is not quite so fluffy as people feared they were going to be. Yeah, Um, yeah, Black Lightning was actually quite good on um, CW as well. But then again, I used to love, and I remember watching it on videotapes years ago. Um, the ITV series, The Tomorrow People. And um, when CW said they were going to do their own version of that, I really shouldn't have done, but I went, yeah, let's give this a watch. I'm sure it can't be that bad. Oh, you know. And Joe, you know what, though, it's one of the things where I almost think I actually kind of hate the original series now because I made myself watch this shit. I can't blame the original I, series. Sure. No, I have high hopes no, I know, still Babylon 5. Yeah. Because like because JMS is at the helm and he said like no, right. I am putting this I'm from the ground up reboot I'm not telling mm. the same so I'm just taking the same premise mm. and seeing where it goes this time after thirty years of like of experience script writing it's yeah. it's interesting I mean I sort of say with Paris Cinema Weekend I was having an interview with um, Stephen Volk who's a script writer from Ghost Watch and yeah uh, oh, God, The Awakening yeah. and you know Gothic which was the film we were screening that night and um, he was saying like you know the thing with with, with script writing and sort of in TV shows and there's like nothing's ever like dead he was like I got I've literally I got a phone call two days ago about a script I wrote thirty years ago I don't know where that's come from all of a sudden. This thing's been sat there in a box for absolutely ages, might have a life again. And God, that seems to be that not, nothing's ever sort of completely dead in the water. And it's, you know, it's honestly, it could be the case that someone's been trying to get this going for ages and they've just hit sort of roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And someone goes, there's no money for this and there's no demand. And you know, this network's turned it down, that network's turned it down. And things just. <laughs> You know, sort of things really take time to happen, especially in TV and film. I mean, absolutely yeah. ridiculous amount of time mm-hmm. to happen in some cases. But um, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see how it see how it goes. It was, I remember watching it as a teenager and enjoying it immensely. I've not revisited it for a number of years, so I probably I, I'm probably going in. I'm sort of debating to myself now: Do I rewatch it and like make the comparison, or do I just wait for it to come out? And watch it without, as you were saying there, John, John without the memory of the first one, <laughs> without a very well, clear memory. Well, if first. you want to watch it, I've got the entire box set. <laughs> I'm trying to be trying to get all of it. So I've got the entire Including box set. <laughs> um, but, but I, I've got paid. No, I was going to say like no, I, I've watched it recently, a few years ago, recently. Uh, it holds up remarkably well from a script and writing perspective. The graphics, because like, this is like you know, the early iteration yeah, of CGI, yeah. it's a bit ropey at times. But the writing and the humour, and yeah, it spills water. And also, I think in some ways, the cast with Bestia Lightning in the bottle they really oh, got God, a good, yeah. a good uh, cast there. I mean, you, I could not imagine anyone else playing Gary Baldy, the security officer. And yeah, and like or anyone else playing um, Lita Alexander. Um, so yeah, so but 
I mean, for what I understand so far, it's going to be basically like a tripled um, Earth off. Earth Force officer with uh, with a mysterious past called Sheridan, and is leading, and that's it. That's all we know. But it seems you're kind of merging the Sheridan and Sinclair storylines into one, though. But yeah. but apparently it's it actually could be gone a new online. Expanse. They get, if they do it right, it could be a new expanse, and expanse is the best sci-fi thing that's been on TV absolutely for like forever. It's awesome. Yeah, I, oh, I've, yeah. Been, I've been begging to get an interview with the uh, creators behind the expanse because it is such a fantastic. I mean, I am an engineer. Like 15 years, I now write articles for the BBC looking at um, like you know, the technical feasibility of science fiction um, ideas. Like, you know, will we ever build, will we ever pilot giant robots was one of mine. And I'm watching The Expanse and just loving all those little details which shows, yes, this is, this we could do this. I mean, like, the only big thing is that drives where basically all this is, it works efficiently. They never explain how it works. It just it goes really <laughs> yeah. fast, really good, and we don't burn much fuel. And uh, yeah, that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I remember like you all talking about. I remember every you got to watch the expanse because ah, the thing is, I'd seen it on Sci-Fi, and it's like Sci-Fi. It's going to be another Sharknado. It's just going to be fucking pants. So I'm not going to bother with that. And then, like, literally, I got it. Thankfully, I got it sort of when it was on season five. So I got to watch the entire thing sort of nice. like through and stuff. And I was like, this is this is absolutely superb, absolutely outstanding. And it was those little things, those little things. Like, I could, like, it didn't sort of dawn on me. I was just like, why are those ships flying backwards? And then I realized it's because of the inertia that when they're going yeah. forward, that they would have kept on going. So they needed to turn around to sort of get the thrusters so that they would slow down. I was like, oh, it makes so much sense. And, and it's just like, you yeah. know, the small things episode, like that. Yeah, the full season of the first, ep- of the, sorry, the full episode of the first season cqb is probably <laughs> the most realistic space battle i've seen oh yeah because there's no shield it's just bullets going really fast and all you have is a very thick armor and inertia and things like that exactly shrapnel debris and um, nukes tomatoes and then like yeah we out firing missiles okay fire back at the missiles and hope we shoot them yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how you do it yeah I feel like the thing is, everything eventually is going to get a reboot. It's got nothing surprises me anymore. There's no film True. or TV show or anything going, oh, I'm Can surprised they, to see that's uh, going to reboot. We've got Quantum Leap reboot on the way, apparently. Oh, but, no, I'm not sure about that. I love that. Quantum Leap. The final episode, he does make a comeback. Yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, how, there's um, a Hellraiser TV series. It just, it just this is endless, yeah. you know. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I've got to also mention, and I, I don't know how to feel about this still, but Doctor Who is going to be having Russell T Davies return, which um, could it, it could have been GMS? It could not be GMS. Yeah, I, I, I say I say nothing bad against Davies because he has put together. You know, I mean, he brought back Doctor Who. That's the way you got to look at it. We have got this show now because of what he done in two thousand and five. Um, he is a great writer. He has put together some fantastic storylines. He's made, you know, he's the guy who brought on Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant as the Doctor. So, you know, definitely got the great credentials there. Um, you look at some of the stories he's written, you know, the, 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 the endings of the first two series, still two of the best finales I've ever seen. Um, the... New Year's specials that he'd done, which was his final episodes. 
okay, they were quite cheesy, but they <laughs> had a nice little send-off. But I don't know how I feel about him returning to the series because I feel that, you know, even though he says, I've grown, I've, you know, my, my attitudes have changed, my, uh, my abilities are different. I don't doubt that at all. And I'd love to see him write for Doctor Who again. But as a showrunner, you want I a new voice, don't, don't you? Feel I really wanted someone new. I wanted someone who was going to be unexpected. And J. Michael Straczynski, I think, was going to be that perfect choice. I really thought this was going to be the guy that was going to take Doctor Who and just go, do you know what? Doctor Who has been a great show, but now it's time for a different stamp, a different culture, Tone. almost, if you will. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, every, you know, don't say it badly, but... You know, Doctor Who is a very British show. They've always kept it with British writers, British creators. But to have a different voice from a whole different background, I was in for that. I was really thinking, my God, this could be awesome. And then they just went, uh, no, Rusty Davies said he'll come back, so we're going to bring him back. I think uh, it's, um, it's one of those things where it could be great if he does get it, if he, if he manages to get the, get the same going on here originally but he left for a reason yeah. you know he was kind of spun out on it and i feel like he's been brought back more just to please all the complaining people just what i was gonna say than yeah. to make so a, basically he's he making a positive contribution to the series He's yeah. he's a backward-looking but safe pair of okay. hands. Correct calls, correct calls. Uh, Change that. <laughs> Pete, your, com, your, your camera's all fuzzy and stuff, by the way, man. It's you're you're going all blur. I'm not sure what that's like for everybody else, but it's sort of looking all yeah, sorry. sort of. Fine, your, camera, yeah. your cameras. Can you do me a favor? Can you just turn your camera off and on again? Just sort of. I think it looks like a deliberate blur. You can yeah. set a blur setting. No, it's like his face is like it's like there's uh it's, there's something right, weird yeah. going on. That's uh, what what uh, it's fine. yeah odd. Well, your, back, your background's blurry, but I, 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 I think no, it's, it's, it's like it's all pixelated and stuff for me. So I've literally <laughs> got this weird thing going on on, on my screen. Right, Matt, you need the better internet. Yeah, that's, well, everybody else is fine. <laughs> it's just Pete. <laughs> everybody else is fine. It's just Pete. I remember a few years ago, um, Bruce Campbell. Uh, announced that he's going to um, is this on the 1st of April he's going to um, he's going to like uh, finally the Doctor was coming to America and he's going to be the new Doctor and that was intended as pure April Fool's but I thought that would be great <laughs> that would be really good like you know you can, you can imagine him good like sauntering good you know Time Lords bunch of uh, bitchy little girls <laughs> hail to the king baby that would have been good that, but, I mean you need someone with charisma to play the Doctor, someone who's got that kind of presence. And I think Bruce Campbell could have that just sheer insanity to do that, but really pulled it off. Um, what, whatever, so Chris, Christopher Eccleston, um, he, I don't oh. think I've seen him in much. Now, he does, he does do a lot of shows still. He just, um, he, he's one of these guys who I remember from an interview back in 2005, he said he never wants, he never wanted to be typecast. He always wanted to make yeah. sure that whatever he went on to was because it interested him and he didn't want to ever outstay his welcome. He, but, he, he did about three or four seasons on the A Word, didn't he? And Sarah, he did. Which is a really that. good show. And he was brilliant yeah. in it. Yeah. And he had that childlike thing that he does where, yeah. in places where he was interacting and every, with, the, with the kid and everything else like that. And again, totally different. And, you know, 
He bounces through and, things. Yeah, and it, Joel, what about my, him? One of my favourite things I remember him doing after Doctor Who was when he was in Heroes, when he played, um, oh, yeah. funny enough, the Invisible Man, calling himself Claude Rains, you know, because uh, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything, does it? <laughs> Uh, was, Joe, was though, he a bad guy in Fast and thing. Furious or something? What was it? He's at, he, yeah, maybe at some point, yeah. He was like a bad a guy. Yeah. Everyone's been in Fast and Furious to be fair. Yeah. Even I was in. Seconds. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's it. Same sort of yeah. thing. Cars. Same and... thing, yeah. Still for Yeah. I wonder, I was thinking, is there is there a bit of that Doctor Who fan base you just never win back? I think that's things like even when you bring Rusty Davis back. If they're thinking themselves, does this get a few people back on side? I don't know. Is that a ship that's sailed? I don't know. It's really tricky to know. I think that's like any fan base, though. You know, you're never going to have a full. Like, say you start from the beginning, you've got, you know, you've got your audience. Doctor Who, first series, has put in about 10 million a week, you know. And then as time's gone, you bring on David Tennant. Most people, yeah, I like David Tennant. And then some people are like, no, I prefer Christopher Eccleston. I'm not going to watch anymore. David Tennant leaves, you know, probably one of the most popular doctors that's ever been. And they're like, right, how do we follow this up? We're going to bring on someone who's completely unknown, pretty much. And, you know, Matt Smith. He earned his part in Doctor Who. He had to go, right, um, I've got so much to prove. I have to make a massive impact. Stephen Moffat, you know, that was top right from the very beginning. That first episode, the 11th hour, was just pure masterclass. And just that whole series. And then Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi was a very divisive Doctor. I know a lot of people weren't keen on him being part of that show. I thought he was fantastic, and I absolutely—I think some of Capaldi's episodes are some of the best in the whole of Doctor Who. And then I don't say it's bad against Jodie Whittaker because I think she is actually a really good actress and she is a good Doctor. But I think for her and for the last few series of Doctor Who, the writing has just really let the show down. I mean, it's—it's it's never looked better. It looks awesome. You can see that like, the episodes, the budgets. They reflect what the show should be, but it's just so poor. And I think that's what, as I think you've got some Doctor Who fans, or you know, you've got the whiny bitches that go, "Oh, you can't have a woman Doctor. That's not going to happen." It's like, um, sorry, the Master became Missy. Um, we've had plenty of Time Lords that have gone from male to female or female to male. Oh, but you can't accept your main character doing it because whatever reason. Um, but I don't know. I think with fans. You're never going to get people 100% happy. Like I say, just look at Star Wars for that. No, we're not going to go that. That's why they go back to J.J. Abrams, and it was even worse. But I think they're similar fan bases. I think, I, think I, I, was, I, I remember having this distinct moment uh, when I was in the cinema uh, watching, must have been, oh, what was the very last, number nine of the Star Wars films, Rise of... Skywalker, yeah. Right. Skywalker. Um, and I I was not that impressed with it, honestly, but I, I sort of came out and there was a little girl in a, in a Ray costume came out beaming ear to ear. And I just suddenly went, I, like, I get it. This this is not for me. Like this, this, this generation point. of Star Wars, like I, as a wide eyed, like seven, eight year old watching Star Wars Empire Strikes Back Return the Jedi on a flipping loop. Like, that's my Star Wars, and that's the, and I think kind of I think maybe the, the, I feel like Star Wars and Doctor Who is the same thing. It's like 
it's not i say kind of you have to go you can either move with it or just like i say it's maybe just say it's not for you that's kind of at this point are the bbc aiming for fans who were watching doctor who in the are they aiming for that audience who were watching in the 60s and 70s that's an amazing Probably, point. really that, that's an amazing point because i remember i was having a bitch about um uh the last jedi which i still um I was i've wa- i've watched i've watched all the star wars films numerous times that one i i've watched once and i can't bring myself to watching it again but my mate said the exact same the thing that you said and he said to me he says look man i didn't like it when i first watched it but it's like you got to think about this this isn't our star wars this yeah. is somebody else's star wars we've had ours this is for another generation and you know once you watch it back and you sort of get it in your mind it's like this is you know you know this is something different then you can you, you can kind of make your peace with it and stuff and i was just like oh, yeah, i don't know man. you can't you can't replicate that you can't no. you're not as innocent and sort of full of wonder you know it's like when i was you know say when i was a when i was a kid watching those first star wars films it was, it was practically real to me you know kind of in you know in that, in that way your imagination works at that age so i think even if it's pretty even if, even if it's as good it won't feel mm. as magic even if it's like you go, I mean, you can look at it logically, technically, storyline-wise, it could be as good a film. It just can't be magic again. And I think the same with Doctor Who as well. If you grew up with that as a kid, yeah. 60s, 70s, like, wow, this thing's like amazing. You know, it's got to look at all these incredible creatures and, you know, things things going on. Um, it would never be, you know, it could be. Probably you could argue that some of the modern Doctor Who, in terms of, like, story and effects and everything, is, is superior to the older stuff. I'm sure someone will shoot me for that opinion. But... Um, <laughs> But, you know, I think, again, you will never recapture that feeling. And I think that's what people get caught on is that nostalgia kind of thing. Like, you know, why isn't it as good as I remember it being? It's because you were, like, 10 when you watched it first time. See, that's why I I like um, the the Rise of Skywalker, you know, has questionable parts in it. But for me, it was the end of a journey. And it was the end of my childhood, effectively. It was like, you know, a journey that I made... Uh, you know, with me, with my father uh, bringing me to see the the Star Wars trilogy when I was a child, um, you know, throughout my my life, you know, following Star Wars and that film, for all its points and stuff, you know, fucking Chewbacca got his medal, you know, stuff like that, you know, really got me there. So it's just like, you know, stuff that, you know, from the very first bit and, you know, it was actually a a surprisingly good sort of send-off for uh, Princess Leia slash, you know, Carrie Fisher as well. And for me, it was just sort of like the culmination of a journey. And that's why I liked it. And that, you know, me, my brother, my sister, uh, and my, me, my brother, and my sister were crying by the end of it. And my, my, my sister's husband is just looking at us going, what the fuck are you doing? Where it's just like, obviously a lot of emotions coming through us, but it's just like... I... Sorry, John, Jim, by the way. Uh, no, I was just, just going to say, I think when you think about, um, you know, like, like you say, it's the end of a journey, but at the same time, you think everyone that was involved in making that last Star Wars movie, they must have been like, for fuck's sake, whatever we do now, you know, if we do a, an absolutely amazing job, we're going to get told we're not to the spirit of Star Wars. If we do everything that people ask for, then, you know, we're just pandering to fans. And, you know, not just that, but, but sadly, you had, the, you had the passing of Carrie Fisher, where episode nine was supposed to be her movie, whereas, you know, episode seven was for Harrison Ford, episode eight was for Mark Hamill. This was supposed to be her part. And to use what they had to, you know, bring, 
bring effectively bring her back to life for for that movie for what they could to you know as you say tie off this story to cap what had been a 42 year franchise really at that point to go Joe you know what this is where you know our story ends on this side whatever happens with Star Wars going forward you know that you've got your you know you've got your your three trilogies you know you've got your you know you've got basically the the way I look at it is you've got the franchise that you grew up with you've got the franchise that you knew but probably didn't give much time for and then you've got the new generation that's the way to look at it. even like you know I watched the prequels recently and I think now I kind of appreciate the prequels a lot more yeah, than I did I've always they have, they have their moments yeah. but I think I appreciate them more since I watched um, the animated series that fit around them, so the Clone Wars and Rebels and yeah. stuff. I think yeah. that mm. made them. Great content. That made them. Uh, that made them more of a a relatable tapestry because mm. the films hop around a little bit. They can be quite yeah. high. They can be quite sort of sketchy yeah, in places. Then again, the original trilogy, to be fair. Yeah. But as an adult, I notice it more. I think, and so. Yeah. So again, we come, we come back to that issue with like, you know, these films are not. Into, no. We, no, it's for the new generation now, not mm. not for yeah. us. I think, I think the th- the thing for me is there's always such a risk of thinking like too much like what do the fans want? Because things like you yeah. should, what the fans want and a great story is probably not the same thing. The fans are going to want certain elements, things to happen that may not make sense or may not be very logical or sort of like the fans probably want a really happy ending for everybody. And it's like, well, sometimes a good story is not always a happy ending. I remember just the thing I remember, I remember thinking this at the time, Lost many years ago, if I remember, was Lost. There was a couple of characters that came in and the uh, power series oh, four and five. Yes. And the fans were like, don't like those characters. And yeah. the guys who were writing Lost were like, okay, we'll write them out. It was like, that's, that to me is a worrying moment in yeah. like TV well, history. You're trying to tell a story, you're suddenly going, we'll take them out because you don't like them. Well, you're ruining your story. <laughs> you've got, you've got I, somewhere. Yeah, you know? I remember like chatting to some publishers at FantasyCon last weekend and they're saying, like, no, do not write for the public. Do not what's do not write what's prevalent right now. Because by the time it is published, what is right now will be two years ago when it yeah, comes exactly. out. Yeah, precisely that. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of something that someone said around the time that the newer Star Trek stuff was starting to come out and everyone was kicking off about that, about Discovery and Picard and so on. And the problem you have is that there's a certain set of fans that will always say we want more, but we want new. And then when you do something new, yeah, but I want more, but I want it more like the old stuff. And then you do it, and you do like a fan sort of worship thing. And they go, but that's just the old stuff, but warmed up. I want something different. Mm-hmm. But whatever you do, yeah. there is a group that will hate it, find a reason to hate it, because it's not what they had up here. Yeah. It's never going to be have yeah. going to be what they had up here. Uh, well, it's uh, the, the prime example. Rewatch the originals. Yeah, the, the prime <laughs> example of, of sort of nostalgia sort of um, being better than the reality is like um i went to um uh arcade club uh the other week uh so it's all the retro games like in, in yeah. barry it's like all these like retro games everywhere and stuff i'm going for my uh my friend's uh birthday on friday and you go Gosh. in and you get this like you just get this sort of sweet this this nostalgia and all these games that you know me and my brother would play as as kids and 
you go, oh my god this game was so good and then you play it and you go this game is shit <laughs> you're just, this game is so shit but in your head when you're thinking about it you go my god that was literally the best game i'd ever played in my entire life but you play it and you're going it has nothing to it the graphics you're are probably naff, used to but, playstation 5 now. yeah and it's just like <laughs> it's just so sort of it's so crap and you're just like wow it just doesn't and i think people get that with films in their mind they're all like this was when i was a child this was the best thing ever i love this but they're sort of thinking of it in a childlike form and they're not sort of kind of thinking, you know, it's not going to, you know, it, what's the word? I can't even think. It's it's not going to translate as well when it sort of kind of, you know, if they play pay lip service to this all the time, it's just going to be a bit naff. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like, so, you know, I understand that. And I think it's just like you shouldn't play to people's, as much as, like, you know, in Rogue One, um you know there was a lot of sort of little nods the thing i fucking loved every single one of them you know you know i like you know um um uh, this uh, uh fucking what's the name of the squad red squadron were there and stuff and they had like you know the darth vader bits and, and you know all you know Grand Moth Tarkin, having Grand Moth Tarkin, even with sort of, you know, the CGI'd face and, and even Leia with a CGI face, I loved it. I thought it was amazing and stuff. It was sort little small bits, you know, of little bits of nostalgia and stuff that were thrown in there. Um but, yeah, you want some of that references, but without feeling as if you're completely going over the same story again. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Repeating history. Yeah. yeah. But you don't want to sort of kind of do over I think the first um, the new film, um, not Phantom Menace, uh, the new Star Wars film, um, Force Awakens, they kind of yeah. tried to be too like um, A New Hope you, yeah. and you could see yeah, it. Okay. And, and then, you know, I I didn't hear it, but it, it, it I found, I felt I, slightly let down about it. I don't know. And it was just like, because it was something I'd watched before, effectively, you know. It's like the Uncanny Valley that they have with the animated people where they're, mm. they're, they're not quite right. Mm. And you feel it as a bit odd. Something slightly you, off. Yeah, because you think to yourself, so this is where... Uh, no, no, okay, that's not quite right. Mm-hmm. And because you have enough there for your expectation, say this should come next, because you've watched the original film like 8,000 times and worn out of the HS and so on. And even, you know, you even had that a little bit when they did special editions, didn't you? Mm. There's a few extra bits, or they changed that around a little bit. But then to have a brand new film that is so obviously pushing the same beats. Yeah. Mm. Literally everything. On screen. <laughs> mm. yeah. I think I think with Star Wars though, when that was being brought back, I think that was really the only way you could do it. You had to kind of have it as like a soft reboot. You had to go, no. well look, we've got to have some things that are similar, we've got to have some traits that people are gonna recognise. Yes, we bring in a few new things, but we've got to throw some of the old in it as well. Nah, and from agree. that point, they just then went, well, from there, we can expand to this way and this way. We can go off and do this. We can now go and do that. And, you know, Disney are going to give you every single property of Star Wars that you can get until you realise, oh, yes, Joe, you know we can actually do our own Star Wars subscription. Never mind Disney+. Plus. We can actually do Star Wars Plus. There we go. They should have done. They should have done the Yuzan Vong um, storyline after the original. They should have gone into that because that's like hardcore. Um, Yeah, that was pretty brutal. Yeah, they should have done that. 
Yeah, that would have been like, you know, and they didn't, you know, that's completely different. And it's just like force sensitive fucking genocidal. It's basically it, it, what I love about it, about that is it's that it sort of gives more of an edge to the emperor and the empire because the Death Stars, the sort of inferences, the Death Stars were built to prevent them from invading yeah. and, and destroying. All those, all those big film, all those big weapons and the, the obsession with super weapons. Was always about the destruction of the world ships before the Yuuzhanbong could get their, could get a foot in the, get a foothold. Yeah, but no one knew because the emperor being the emperor. <laughs> I think also that's part of the reason why everyone found it so hard to deal with the new Luke was that in legend in the legend stuff they got used to this Luke that grew up and had a family and saw things and grew in a very different way. To what we got faced with which was very disappointing in yeah some ways. very disappointing <laughs> I, can't, I can't reconcile the i can't reconcile the um last jedi look it's just like it's just this guy this is not my luke skywalker i'm just like what is this guy and people try and justify it and it's like no i'm not having it it's not, not for you man no do you know um have uh, going a bit off topic but it will come back to star wars in a way have you guys been watching on Disney Plus, watching the What If Marvel series? Yes, so yeah. good. Last episode, just watched it last night. Awesome. <laughs> um, now, I don't know if you've heard about it, but there was a, or if you've read it, actually, you would have heard it. Um, there was a Star Wars comic that came out years ago, which was kind of like its own version of a What If, where the trilogy plays out like it should, but it has one key change. And I read all three books some time ago, and I thought they were brilliant. So in what is effectively A New Hope, um, the trigger is when Luke fires into the Death Star, it doesn't blow up. So, you know, you have all that suspense. It's like, oh, no, the Death Star's still there. So effectively, (laughs) you know, they lose. Um, The Empire is still going. Uh, Leia gets kidnapped and brainwashed into becoming a servant of the dark side. Um, you know, the Empire is now seen as this site, you know, this this great force across the galaxy. And then from that point, Luke still goes on his journey to become a become obviously a Jedi. He has his interactions with more with Han Solo than what you would have had in the original trilogy. He still goes to Yoda. It's really good. And then there is episode five where they're on half, but Luke dies before he's actually saved by Han Solo. So, you know, the, 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 you know, the galaxy is now going, well, shit, who's actually supposed to protect us now? Because, you know, the supposed chosen one, um, the boy is That's gone. Cool. So, yeah, it, it was a really good series. If you've not had the chance to, I have to try and look up what it was called again. Now, I know I've got the book somewhere, but I don't really want to be, pulling through a load of boxes to try and find it. But um, seriously, they were really good stories. And I really think that's going to be one of the next things that Disney Plus are going to do. They'll do their own Star Wars. Well, they've, they've done a recently an anime version of Star Wars called yeah, Star Wars Visions. Visions. Yeah. Oh, yes. I quite enjoyed that, actually. I'm yeah. not halfway through that, I must admit. But yeah. it's very different because it takes very different influences. But it's interesting. Yeah, it's- it is. It's a great anthology series. It's um, especially I really like episode two, which was because obviously watching the first one, it had that very nineteen fifties kind of style to it, almost like a um, like a thirteen assassins kind of feel. And then 
that second episode is very very weird very poppy very uh, vibrant and fun and uh, even even has um boba fett in it you know because that's a, that always is a winning formula but you know having the one about uh basically about a boy band in space it's yeah. it's crazy but oh I, I did love that that was really fun but um yeah Star Wars What If there we go that's going to be in the next series <laughs> on Disney Plus cool give it time give it time there's a few bobs we made someone will do it <laughs> <laughs> okay um so uh we'll, we'll we'll leave it there we'll we'll um just one more note on the um the um the ghost story um festival uh tell us just tell us a bit more about it wh- when it's happening and stuff uh before and who's we... coming who's coming who's apart coming? from me yeah who's coming apart from you yes absolutely yes uh yeah so we're running uh 26th to 28th of november so we start about friday lunchtime finishing sort of sunday uh mid-afternoon we've got two days here at quad uh in derby our third day is across the way at the museum of making uh which recently opened uh reopened should i say really excited to be working with them um over the weekend we've got among our headliners uh anita frank is going to talk about her book the lost ones from last year fabulous uh ghost story that was neil spring one of the best kind of known ghost story writers around uh if anyone saw his itv series the uh harry price ghost hunter that was quite popular um we've got uh caroline lee whose books have done incredibly well uh um, AJ West, his new book looks absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's going to be a really big debut, I think, The Spirit Engineer. It's a really exciting one to keep an eye out for. Wrapping up with an MR James theatre performance. So it's going to be a packed weekend, absolutely loads going on. Uh, if anyone's interested in taking a look, uh, probably the easiest place to, find, place to find us is on Twitter, where we are at UKGS Festival. Um, it's very hard to find a, a better Twitter handle than that, but UKGS Festival. Uh, or if you head to the Derby Quad website, it's www.derbyquad.co.uk and you look for the Ghost Story Festival, you'll find it. Uh, you'll find it from there. You can do a weekend pass, or we've got tickets to individual uh, events available as well. And as I mentioned earlier on, I might well be looking to add some more events because we've had a lot of demand so far, which is really great. So, um, yeah, going to be uh, looking to expand the program a bit, which is really exciting too. So, um, yes, yeah, so you can hold me to that if anyone's listening and uh, coming along if we're adding some more events in the very near future. Awesome. Um, should be, yeah, should be a lot of fun. So, rent really well in 2019. And, uh, Buzzing to be back. Was it back doing an event and having people around and you know just getting some authors up and should be really really fun. And if you so, it's perfect timing of the year hopefully to get you in that uh, Christmas spooky wintry mood. So <laughs> awesome sauce, brilliant. Um, Thank you. Thank it's you. been a pleasure, man. Great having you on Thank again. You very much. No, absolutely great to chat. It was always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Oh, <laughs> okay, so uh, that's uh, that's us for tonight. Um, it's been great fun. Uh, I've been Matt Geary. With me has been Peter Ray Allison. Good night, everyone. Mark Canty. Good night, all. John Joe Cosgrove. Take care, people. And our guest, Alex Davis. Good night, everyone. Sleep tight. Hi, <laughs> <Night>, everybody. Bye. <laughs>